Six Figure Developer Podcast, the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us today is Matt Groves. Matt is a guy who loves to code and get involved in the developer community. He is the author of AOP in.net, a Pluralsight author, and is also a Microsoft MVP. Welcome, Matt. Hi, thanks for having me on. Yeah, so uh, before we jump into the meat of things, would you tell our listeners a little bit of how you got started in the industry? Oh, gosh, uh, probably pretty standard. Uh, in the 80s, my dad brought a personal computer into the house, and uh, he had programmed on punch cards a little bit, and he taught me some basic and uh, gave me a book uh, on basic. And you know, in a couple weeks, I was programming better than him, uh, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And so the rest of my uh, time in school and career has just been pursuing that you know, love of coding and, and making stuff out of code. I, my parents owned a pizza shop uh, in the 90s, and it was all taking orders with, with a pad and paper. And it was really terrible to read people's handwriting. So I wrote a program, uh, a point of sales, what they call it these days, uh, software to take orders. And uh, we improved efficiency, and it was really great. And that was my first professional coding experience. And it's just gone since then. Very cool. So um, what are you doing these days? Well, these days, my title isn't really developer anymore. Uh, I'm in the marketing team, which uh, sometimes is a dirty word for developers. But um, I came from a developer advocate team and uh, saw opportunity in the product marketing management team that uh, we really needed to uh, create stuff and um, organize content better for a developer audience. And I work for a software company. So I wanted to join that team. I've been with at this company for six plus years, uh, Couchbase, uh, and just trying to help developers learn about databases and, and how Couchbase can make their lives easier. So for those who may not be as familiar, what what is Couchbase and why look at using something like Couchbase? Yeah, so Couchbase is a, uh, a database. It's uh, commonly called a NoSQL database. Um, it's a, it's a multi-model database, so there's lots of different ways you can use it. Um, most commonly, JSON, data, key value, text search. Uh, and we've got some stuff in there like a mobile, uh, offline sync, and uh, analytics components, and some other things like eventing as part of all the same platform, a built-in caching layer all those things. And really our customers uh, have come to us for a lot of reasons. You know, we have a strong caching background. So a lot of our customers started out using us as a cache just to speed up operations, reduce latency. And then they've expanded into, you know, we offer query and uh, key value and all kinds of persistence options. And so they've expanded their use cases. It's typically, you know, large uh, public facing applications, not always, but typically, uh, so uh, scaling is one of the big reasons that NoSQL exists in the first place. And Couchbase has a really unique, efficient way of scaling to meet those demands. 
Um, so that that's where we, we've come from, and and you know, performance and scaling and flexibility are are kind of the core uh, pillars of Couchbase. And you mentioned learning to code in the '80s and and coming up in the the '80s, '90s, and and so forth. Uh, I myself have a similar background and origin story. But a, a lot of us started with relational databases. So why something like Couchbase? Why non-relational or NoSQL databases in, in place of or instead of something like a relational database like SQL Server? Yeah. Well, so actually my, my pizza program was I wrote my own database, which you would call a, a NoSQL database these days. It was, it was not good. Um, so I got my start uh, in NoSQL, I guess, before it was even called that. Uh, but yeah, I certainly uh, learned uh, all the principles of, uh, of relational databases in college. And my first few jobs were relational databases, Access, and SQL Server. I, I think the reason that uh, our customers come to Couchbase and our users, because we do have a, a free open source offering as well, uh, come to Couchbase is... Um, well, those reasons I mentioned. So, uh, performance—they—they uh, they want to get, uh, you know, ca- at least caching in place. So, you know, we're talking microsecond type access to data. Uh, scaling is an- is another one. You know, you can you can scale up a a legacy relational database pretty big uh, vertically, but it gets very expensive and it will hit a ceiling at some point. So, you need to start scaling horizontally, and, and that's you know, really something that Couchbase excels at. And then flexibility is one that a lot of developers like is. I don't have to, you know, send a memo to the DBA team to get a column added to the schema. I can just save my data as, you know, from right from my my Poco or my Pojo, and get that uh, serialized right into JSON, storing the database. So those are the those are, like I said, those are the three things that I think appeal to our customers and our developers. Many of those many of those uh, things I've heard said about. Um well, Couchbase in, in the past and also some of the other NoSQL uh, offerings. Um, and they all sound great. And I've, I've tried out several of the, of the different offerings, uh, but I always want, run into a problem. And I have a feeling a lot of other people also run into the same problem. I have been doing SQL for so long that I can't get my head out of this table idea with, you know, like a, a table of options over here and a record table over here. And then the record table references the options table or the address table or the, you know, the whatever. Um, and so every time that I've tried to uh, start using a document database from the ground up, um, I just make a big mess of it. What is, or, or how could I change the way that I'm thinking about my application so that I don't run into that problem? Well, so that's that's a big question. Um, let me let me just start a little bit back here because I was in the same space before I came to Couchbase. I was really, you know, a lot of those NoSQL things really appealed to me, flexibility especially. But I was very much, you know, very invested in, in SQL as a language, and you know, just writing things to tables and foreign keys, all those things. Just it just. You know, my I had molded my brain to to fit that, uh, and so you know, I I was the same way. I was like, oh, you know, it might be good, but I'm I'm fine with SQL right now. And and those ops problems that somebody else is you know scaling somebody else's problem and uh, performance, you know, it's good enough for the kind of stuff I'm building, right? Uh, 
Um, but when I learned about Couchbase for the first time, I was kind of surprised um, because it is a it's a NoSQL database, right? You know, the traditional sense NoSQL means we don't have SQL here, but Couchbase actually has a full SQL language implementation. So I can still take those same SQL skills that I've learned over the years writing queries and write the same kind of queries in Couchbase. Now, the syntax is not going to be identical, um, you know, just in the same way that Transact SQL is not the same as PL SQL, right? Couchbase has its own, but it is a full SQL uh, implementation. And that includes joins, that includes subqueries, insert, update, delete, common table expressions, aggregation, all those things that I'm, I'm used to from SQL. It's all there. Uh, but I still have the JSON data, the flexible JSON data behind the scenes. So that was a, a huge boon for me because I felt like if I had to learn a whole brand new language, it's just like, you know, I, I may as well just keep on trucking away in SQL Server for now until, you know, someone forces me to stop using it. But, but by, by having SQL available, I was like, oh, this is great. I get the best of both worlds. So Couchbase, <clears throat> by supporting SQL and having joins and, and all that stuff, do you still build foreign key relationships? Do you still have uh, the concept of multiple tables of data that you link up? So uh, yes and no would be the answer there, um, which is you know kind of the weaselly, it depends answer, right? But uh, so in, in Couchbase... Um, we don't have, there's no tables, right? There's no predefined schema that, that says a piece of data must follow this prescription, right? Um, every, you know, every, every row of data, if you will, it's not a row, but every, every piece of data is a JSON document that's independent from other JSON documents. And that's one of the ways we you know, achieve such good scaling capabilities. Um, but uh, in Couchbase, uh, there are some logical ways you can organize data. And uh, the first level would be like a bucket, uh, which is an overloaded term these days, but a bucket of data, which is kind of like a, a SQL Server catalog or, or a database in SQL Server. And then inside of a bucket, you can have multiple, what we call scopes, which would be similar to a SQL Server schema or Oracle schema, just the next level of organization. And then inside scopes, we have what are called collections, which would be similar to a table in SQL Server, right? So you can still organize data. You could have a... Um, invoice collection and an invoice items collection if you wanted to uh, you could still have the data split up to be relational style data just like you could in in sql server or oracle and then you could still join the data together because we have sql and we have joints right so you could still follow that same way of modeling data uh the the there's no foreign key constraint right but you could still have uh data joined together by those keys and so any sort of foreign key constraints that you'd want to keep in your system, you could, you'd have to enforce that some other way. So that may be in your application level or, or something along those lines. Um, so, I mean, that's one thing unique about Couchbase is, is we, we also, we support acid, we support join, we support, you know, collections and scopes, uh, which to, to me makes the transition from relational a little gentler and a little easier and, and less, less ramping up you have to do. Now, that being said, your foreign key question, is, uh, is one that uh, trips up a lot of people. Um, and so you can keep your data in that same format, invoices and invoice items, two different collections. You can do it. Um, you probably shouldn't do that in the long run. What you should probably do is try to, what you can do is you can consolidate your data 
uh, into a document. So instead of invoice document and then three invoice items documents, I can have one invoice document that contains an array of three invoice items, right? So that kind of aggregation, if you've ever heard of uh, domain-driven design, the idea is to find those aggregate roots. And you often see this in your in your code, even with a relational database, an aggregate root. Um, and then you can just collapse those uh, those auxiliary data into the document. Now, that is a process that uh, you know uh, can't really be automated all that well. That takes some human thought to decide, well, do I aggregate or do I not aggregate? Right. So <clears throat> if I started, let's say I'm having trouble wrapping my head around the, the non-relational thinking. If I started uh, my Couchbase database in a very, very relational way, like uh, maybe I have an existing system or I just don't get it, so I'm, I'm doing relational. And I have those different collections that represent what what would have been tables, and I have those those uh, relationships between the items in the in the collections. Um, how hard would it be later after I had uh, learned a bit more, or I maybe I had defined those aggregate roots as part of my my uh, business analysis? Um, how hard would it be to then uh, combine the items together? in the database because like in, in SQL, if you want to change all the things in this table to something else, it's kind of a. Right. So uh, the, the key part of your question there was in the database, right? Uh, making the change of the data and remodeling that data in Couchbase is actually very straightforward to do. Um, and there's a number of ways you can do it. In fact, I've actually written a utility that goes through that exact process you just described. It will uh, take data from SQL server and put it in Couchbase as is in like the relational style format, right? And then if I want to, I can go in and configure, well, I want to actually combine invoice items into invoices. And I can just feed that into the utility and tell it which foreign key to use. And it will go ahead and embed that for me. Um, now that's an automated process. And you can also just go ahead and do that, you know, manually if you want to with like a SQL statement. Uh, some Sometimes we have customers who are doing proof of concept and they will copy the data as is raw into one bucket and then write some transformation scripts into a second bucket. And that's going to be the remapped optimized uh, bucket that, that they connect to the application. So, I mean, you and I are thinking the exact same way about this process of relational to a non-relational and, and I've actually written some code to help people do this. Actually, Yeah. Now, now I'm actually getting a little excited because in, in, in other document databases, I've tried both ways. And uh, as hard as I try, I can't seem to come up with that non-relational model that actually represents the thing that I need. And I end up making a whole bunch of modifications to the model and the data gets dirty and uh, pulling old data becomes an issue. Um, or I've tried doing it relational and then it's just a nightmare. But being able to start one way and then fairly easily transition to another way is is attractive um well old data is always going to be a nightmare i mean that's something i've learned over the years is any sort of system you know given enough time you're going to have a, a varchar field that contains true and false or you know a varchar field that's supposed to be you know for for numbers it's being used for numbers right that's that's just sort of that decay happens to to old data that's just really unavoidable uh, I, I think <laughs> unless you have a really really uh, protective 
a highly protective DBA or something like that's just going to happen. <laughs> yeah, but like in you know like in SQL, if you make a change to the table, it changes every record in the right, table. Right. And with a document DB, if you make a change to the model that you're saving or that you're trying to read, it it doesn't really update that entire let's collection. That's right. And then and that's um, actually a another uh, interesting point is what you just described with a, a schema change, this a size of data schema change they call it, where I'm adding a a, a column with a uh, you know a default value perhaps or something like that, a non non null value. That could result in you know some downtime for my system, just a minor schema change, right? Whereas you know a a, a JSON based system like Couchbase, I don't have to wait until a two a.m. Saturday morning maintenance window to make that change, right? I can I can do that you know probably just during the day, and the system has no downtime in that process. Now I'm not saying it's as easy as flipping a switch, right? There is some prep work that goes into it, but I can avoid that dreaded you know two a.m. three a.m you know, come in and chug some coffee and see if I can get this to work type of scenario. Which actually, actually that's a bit of a question. So like, so um, for performance reasons, uh, uh, (laughs) I've seen SQL databases where they had a date time field and they didn't store it as a date time. They stored it as a number, Um, which didn't, I don't think really helped them that much, but that's what they did. And then at some point later, it was no longer performance reason. And so we were like, you know, it'd be nice just to have this as date time. So, you know, you write a SQL script that goes and converts from the number to the date time and then stores the date time in uh, potentially a new column. And then you delete the old column and then you rename the new column to the same name as the old column and you update your code. So anyway, <laughs> um, how would that situation be handled in something like uh, Couchbase where all your old data is stored with a number. And then you go, this is dumb. I'm using a date time value. Um, and so you switch the model. So now all your new data is stored with a date time value. But when you when you pull the old data, I mean, you've got to figure out the difference, right? So how would you handle something like that with, uh, with Couchbase? Yeah. There, so this is, uh, again, that's a common question about document databases in general. And and I, I, I can think of three approaches to it that I would take. And there, there might be other ones depending on use cases and requirements. But uh, the, the first one is you can actually, um, you know, uh, when you start saving documents, saving data, you, you give it a version number. And you say, save this document and it has version one. It can be more complex than just a single number, right? But version one. And then I make the change. You said, um, you know, number to string. That would become version two, right? Uh, and then in my code, uh, as you know, the data I'm I'm retrieving is JSON, right? So before I, um, you know, serialize it into a, a POCO or POJO or something, I can check to see is this version one or version two, and then serialize it into the correct object. Now there are some drawbacks to that strategy, um, but there's some tools out there to help with that as well. Something like uh, Liquibase, if you're familiar with that, or like um, tools like uh, Fluent Migrator, for instance, they they can help you, you know, make that systemic and make that part of your code base and check it into source control. Right? Some modeling tools out there like Irwin, Hackalade, things like that can also help. So that's one option. The second one is. Uh, it's just kind of the big bang um, option where, okay, we're going to go ahead and write an update statement that's going to go back and, and change all those numbers, number dates into strings. 
right? And there's date functions in, in uh, Couchbase's SQL to do that. Uh, you know, if there's millions, you know, billions of records, you might want to do that in, in a batch, <laughs> just a little bit at a time, right? Especially if you're going to wrap in a transaction. Um, so that's another approach. Um, the third approach, which I think is is interesting approach um, that I, I've seen for things like uh, in the relational world as well, for things like uh, password hash- hashing, when uh, a hash gets broken, how do we uh, change to a new hash without making everyone, you know, have to wipe out their password, something like that, right? Because you don't know their password, right? So the, that approach is kind of a, um, like an on-demand, uh, like a, we're reading in the old schema whenever we have to view it or look at it. And then whenever we save it, we'll just save it as a new schema. So it's kind of a gradual convert the data as we need to process. And so if there's an old piece of data that's never being touched, then we don't really care about changing the date format of that, right? Or you know, or we can put it off till later. So those are three different approaches. There's some other things you can do in code. Uh, you know, depending on what language you're using, if it's object oriented, you can, um, you know, you can create some uh, properties that are kind of aliases for other properties, and so you can transition that way as well. So there's there's, there's approaches to take with it, but but as you know, one of the fundamental things is that. For the most part, the relational world is very, the database itself does a lot of a work. It's very rigid in that sense, whereas the non-relational world kind of depends on the developer to, do, to take a little bit of that load in exchange for the flexibility and scalability and performance. So there's a bit of a trade-off there. And you know, for some people, that's a very hard trade-off to accept. Uh, and for others, it's like, it's really welcome. Like, oh, thank goodness for this, right? So, there, there's a there's a, a spectrum of of people's preferences when it comes to, you know, how rigid do they want their database to be? Speaking of flexibility, performance, and trade offs, uh, are there any like things to think and keep in mind in the way that we like or, organize the data when you're thinking about like querying across? rows or across records um, because that's obviously something that that uh, relational does really well is that is that do we have to think about like the size of those records or uh, a special way of organizing those things well so depending on which database you're using you know the way that data is indexed may be a concern right so uh, many systems they'll have indexes that basically live right next to the data uh, and so if you're trying to do a range query against indexes that are, you know, scattered across multiple machines in a cluster, you have to do what's called a scatter gather, which means you have to, you know, qu- run that query on, on every node and then combine those results and then run that query again, which is a huge amount of overhead. Uh, and, and it can be a real problem to do that. So the alternative to that would be something called a global index where you have a, you know, a machine or multiple machines in the cluster that are running the index service and that store the index data. And so when you make a query, it's going to go through a query parser, of course, and then it's going to go to, uh, hopefully there'll be an index that matches, right? And then it'll go to that index and, and, and the index will say, okay, here's the results and you can find the full results. Uh, you know, here are the keys you need to get those full results. And then you can, then it turns into a key value lookup. Right. So uh, the, the global indexing is a lot more efficient, uh, a way to query across a cluster like that. Now, as far as indexes go, because Couchbase is very much SQL based, 
indexes look just like a SQL index. You create index on, you know, collection and then the, the fields you want to index or, you know, there's functional indexes and uh, partial indexes and all kinds of other indexes you can run. And then, of course, there's something called a covering index, which is where, let's say, you know, a lot of times developers will write select star, right? And whenever I see select star, it's like, Ooh, do you really mean select star? Uh, do you really want every piece of data in that row? Uh, so if you have a covering index and a query that say, oh, I just want select ID, first name, last name, right? And if my index includes ID, first name, and last name, then I can just get the results right from the index. I don't have to go and actually look up the underlying data. Uh, and so that's extremely fast query if I can cover the results of that. But that requires us to, to, do, to do more thinking than just select star. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, so what makes Couchbase Couchbase unique, uh, you know, when it compares to the other NoSQL or document databases and that sort of thing? So I think there are a few things in combination that makes Couchbase very unique. Um, if I may say very unique, that's allowed on, on this podcast. Um, so uh, one is, and I think we talked about this earlier, is kind of the name Couchbase. And a lot of developers, a lot of people um, might assume that a Couchbase is like the enterprise version of CouchDB or something like that, but that's not the case. So a- actually, uh, they are related, uh, but it's a little more complex than that. So um, back in the late 2000s, uh, there was a there's a there's a CouchDB open source project still exists to this day, but there was a startup that formed around CouchDB from some of the founders of, of CouchDB. Uh, that were providing uh, consulting services and support for CouchDB. That company is called CouchOne. At the same time, there was a company called um, Membase, which was building a database based on the Memcached project, open source Memcached project. So uh, at some point, these two companies looked at each other and said, hey, peanut butter and chocolate, they go better together. Let's put a cache in front of our document store so we can have super fast, you know, super low latency performance backed by disk. Uh, and so they, they merged Membase and Couch One and became Couchbase. It took half of each name combined into Couchbase. And it created a new product called Couchbase Server, which is really more, really closer to Memcached than it is to CouchDB. But there's, there's still some bits of both deep in the bowels of the code, but they're not API compatible uh, and, and they've gone separate ways since then. It's not a fork or anything like that. It's a completely different offering. So that's really the core that makes it very unique is that it's a memory first, uh, architecture. So you're, is a, is a full managed cache built right into Couchbase, which gives you really microsecond lookups if you're going by the key value engine. And so that's, that's one thing that makes it unique. And, uh, you know, I was listening to, uh, an episode of your podcast earlier today, uh, with Mark Brown at Cosmos DB. And he was talking a lot about uh, p- uh, partitioning and, and selecting a good partition key and sharding strategy. And that's another thing that's very unique about Couchbase is that uh, you don't have to select a shard key or a partition key. Uh, the sharding is done completely automatically. So when a piece of data is being written into Couchbase, uh, an algorithm is applied, CRC32, if you want to know the details, that, that determines which one of the nodes is that document going to live on. So it deterministically decides where it's going to live. So I don't, I can't, you know, I can't change the key. 
it's it's built into Couchbase. So I, I don't end up with things like hotspots. Um, I don't end up with, you know, I don't have to set up any load balancing or anything like that. It's all automatically sharded and replicated between all those Couchbase nodes. So it's not a primary, secondary, you know, traditional architecture where primary does all the reads and writes and secondary is a, is a backup. Every node on Couchbase can, does both reads and writes. So that, that makes it a very efficient use of resources and, and, and a lower, lower cost um, uh, to, to do more. Those are, those are two things, I think, and everything else kind of flows from that. But those are the two things that make Couchbase very unique. So how do we get started with Couch, Couchbase? Yeah, so if you're listening to this and you want to give Couchbase a whirl, um, but you don't want to actually download or install anything, I, I feel you because you, there's probably a million things you want to try. Uh, but it, we have something called the Couchbase Playground. And it is uh, if you go to couchbase.live in your browser, it's completely browser-based. We've got live code samples. If you guys want to check it out right now, I'd love to get your feedback on it. But uh, live code samples for you know a bunch of different popular programming languages, and you can run them right there in your browser. You don't have to sign up. Just click on your language and then start clicking through examples. And you can even tweak them and change them. It'll run them in the browser for you. Um, now, you can also sign up there if you want to, to get a uh, like a 30-minute uh, Couchbase um, you know, credentials for free that you can you know plug in and to your own code base in Visual Studio or Eclipse or whatever you're using and start writing your own code and connect to Couchbase. Again, totally for free. So I would recommend starting there. That's a really cool... I helped work on that when I was on the developer advocate team. And that's a, that's a cool little uh, in always like uh, the in browser interactive code examples. It's very, very fun. Uh, and the second step, if you're interested to, uh, for a longer trial, we have a database as a service offering, completely cloud-based managed offering of Couchbase called Couchbase Capella. And there's a 30 day free trial going on right now. You go to cloud.couchbase.com and you'll get uh no, no credit card required. You can get right in there and, and start, uh, you know, importing data. There's some code examples there too. You can just start interacting with your uh, Couchbase cluster as much as you want to. And then beyond that, we have, of course, uh, downloads. If you want to download Couchbase and just run it yourself, there's a Docker image as well. Um, those are all paths you can take if you want to get started with Couchbase. Um, I'm going to guess that you guys are would, you know, be very uh, much backing your Capella, you know, your, your cloud offering or your, your managed service offering. Right. But is it difficult to run something like Couchbase in production? So certainly I could bring the Docker down and maybe do some development locally and start playing with it. Does that, I'm guessing that's not going to be a recommendation for production, uh, doing things that way, but maybe it is. Uh, you know, uh, if you're using Docker in production, you know, if you wanted to try that, it would be difficult because in the production, you, you want to run a cluster, multiple nodes, and getting those to talk to each other in Docker is going to be a little extra work. Um, you know, we do have uh, lots of customers who are deployed to the cloud uh, in, in you know, all the major cloud services out there, all the major vendors. Um, and if you're in the Kubernetes world, we even have a Kubernetes operator if you wanted to, to go that direction. Uh, you know, definitely, I would recommend Capella. It's going to be the quickest, lowest friction way of, of getting started and getting coded. And uh, you know, uh, we if you if you want to go to production, there are some starter kits you can buy uh, for you know, production credits. And there's uh, 
even some pay-as-you-go options if you want to look into that as well. Uh, one, one thing that does separate us a little bit from the other cloud providers like like Cosmos or, or Dynamo is that uh, we don't really have a, a concept of like request units. Um, like with Cosmos, if you have a, a query that's you know, even, a, even a relatively simple query, you might not know how much you're getting charged for that until you run it through the request unit calculator. With Couchbase, we don't really bill like that. It's just whatever query you want to run, you know, you're running on however many nodes that you sign up for, and this is all your RAM and all your processing, and, and uh, you know, go to town, do whatever you want with them. So that's, it's not like a serverless type offering where we bill you per operation. So, so what else? Is there anything that we've missed or anything that we haven't touched on that you want to make sure that our listeners are familiar with or, or uh, have some indication of what they should uh, be looking for or, or what's in store for them? Uh, I can't really think of anything. I think I've blabbered on about Couchbase enough at this point. <laughs> Just go try it, couchbase.live. Give it a try. So are there any other resources that we haven't uh, mentioned? No, you can definitely go check out couchbase.com. Lots of, lots of great stuff there. Developer.couchbase.com for the developer portal. And that'll take you to a lot of those resources I just mentioned, as well as some tutorials and videos and helpful material. What has been helpful in your career that you might share with those just getting started or those looking to level up their careers? I, I think one, one of the things that's been helpful in my career in general you know, I don't necessarily consider myself, you know, I'm not top of the class MIT. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not going to be the, the, the 10x developer. I'm not in the top 1%. But one thing I, I consistently do is I show up uh, when I say I'm going to show up. Uh, and I think that is something that sounds really simple, but, you know, to, to me, I think a lot of times just showing up is like 90% showing up and being there um, and listening. Um, you know, I, I, as much as blabbering as I've been doing this podcast, I'm getting a lot of value out of listening to your guys' questions. Um, I, I find those extremely valuable. And I've, I've listened to, you know, hundreds, thousands of developers at events. And I, I think I learned the most from listening to them and what they're asking. Um, now I, sometimes I can't help myself. I get carried away. I get excited about technology and I just talk and talk and talk. But I, I think showing up and listening, that's just, you know, do that. And you're going to be better than 90% of any profession out there. It's fantastic. So where can our listeners go to follow you and keep up with what you're working on? Well, if I haven't uh, turned you off all my blabbing so far, you can go and find me on, on Twitter, M Groves on Twitter. I don't tweet just Couchbase stuff, but I do tweet some Couchbase stuff. A lot of it is dumb jokes and uh, you know pop culture stuff too, but uh, M M G R O V E S on Twitter. And uh, I've also got a, a book coming out, if you don't mind, um, from A Press, a new book. Uh, I, I helped write a chapter of this book, um, Pro Microservices in .NET 6. It's available now on, on Amazon or A-Press. And uh, check it out. Let me know what you think. Um, happy to sign it if I ever see you in person. But, uh, yeah, just check that book out. Really good stuff there. Uh, touched on some of the things we've, we've talked about today as well. I also have a, a podcast myself and Calvin Allen. And uh, we're doing a relaunch of it right now. So, uh, But you can check out some of our old episodes. Uh, it's called .NET Bytes, D-O-T-N-E-T-B-Y-T-E-S. .fm is the URL, and you can find that on your podcast services and uh, whatnots. But uh, 
yeah, if you're into .NET especially, that is a lot of news and notes and opinions on, on .NET stuff. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Really enjoyed having you on. Uh, great insights into how we could use Couchbase and um, also non-relational databases. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. That was Matt Groves. Matt is a guy who loves to code and get involved in the developer community. He is an author of AOP in .NET, a Pluralsight author, and is also a Microsoft MVP. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. And catch us live each week on Twitch. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Six Figure Dev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. 